Good morning. I'd like you to join me in James chapter 5. This morning I'd just like to read verses 7 to 11. Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. You too be patient, strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We spend a lot of time waiting. Remember when you were little, you couldn't wait to get into school? And then you couldn't wait to get out of school? You couldn't wait to fall in love. You couldn't wait to get married. You couldn't wait to have kids. Now you can't wait to have the kids move out. We spend a lot of time waiting. There are a lot of things that test our patience. Traffic jams. Checkout lanes stuck zippers, irritating people, flight delays, doctor's offices. That's why they call you patients. We live in the now generation. We want it quick. We want it high speed. We don't like to wait. I think I'm a fairly patient person, except when I'm hungry. Like the little preschooler, uh, her mother said, would you like some ice cream, would you like an ice cream sundae? And she said, no, I'd rather have one today. You ever notice that the more expensive restaurant you go in, the longer you have to wait? We went Friday night, I counted five waits. We waited to be seated, we waited for a menu, we waited to order, we waited to get food, and we waited for the check. And they have the audacity to call him the waiter. See, he's not waiting on me. I'm waiting on him. Well, whoever first said patience is a virtue must have been reading James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. Because if you will count, the word patience or endurance is used six times in these five verses. In fact, I think you could make the point that the whole book of James is about patience. You remember how it begins? James says, rejoice when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Patience. And then the whole body of the book is really built on the outline in chapter 1 and verse 19, where James says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. That's really the formula for patience, and James develops it throughout the book. And then as he's wrapping up the book here in chapter 5, he says in verse 7, Therefore, be patient. Patience comes from two Greek words. Literally, it means long heat, or long temper, or having a long fuse. Someone has said patience is letting your engine idle 
when you feel like stripping the gears. You know, I think sometimes we look at patience, and since we all struggle with it, we sort of justify it in our lives and the lives of other people. But I want to remind you this morning that patience is not a secondary issue. Patience is not an option in your Christian life. What's the first word Paul uses to describe love in 1 Corinthians 13? Love is patient. So without patience, there's no love. What is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22? We usually say the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so forth. What's the first word in the and so forth section? It's patience. So patience is the evidence that the Spirit of God is in you. So you can't say, I'm very Christ-like, I'm just not patient. You can't say, I'm filled with the Spirit, I'm just not patient. See, patience is mandatory. It's a priority in your life and in my life. So let's listen carefully as James answers three questions about patience in this passage. Question number one, when do you need patience? And James is a master illustrator, and in this passage, he gives three illustrations. He talks about a farmer in verse 7, the prophets in verse 10, and Job in verse 11. And I want to suggest that each illustration highlights a time when we need an extra special dose of patience. The first is illustrated by the farmer, and that's uncontrollable circumstances. Look again at the end of verse 7. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and the late rains. Don't go into farming unless you've got patience. Because farmers do a lot of waiting. They wait to plow, they wait to plant, they wait to prune, they wait to harvest. But there's one thing that a farmer has to wait for that he has absolutely no control over, and that is rain. And in the first century, they had no sophisticated irrigation systems. They were dependent on the rain. And James says they got the early rain and the late rain. Now, their seasons were different than ours. The early rains for them came in about October, November. And those early rains would break up the hard soil, soften the hard soil, so that they could then plow the ground and plant their seed. And then it rained off and on through the next few months as the crop grew. And then about March, they would get the late rains, and those late rains would refresh and ripen the crops. And when those late rains ended, that's when they were to harvest their crop. And what I want you to see is that a farmer banks his life on circumstances that he has no control over. A farmer who can't wait can't survive. When, when farmers are impatient and harvest their crops before the late rains, they get a title before their name, and that is ex-farmer. So let me ask you this morning, are you facing uncontrollable circumstances in your life? Are there some things that just can't happen 
apart from God's showers of blessing. And if you can't think of any, how about your next breath? How about your next doctor's appointment? How about your safety? How about your job security? How about the salvation of your family members and your friends? You see, most of life, if you're honest, is beyond your control. So you have two choices. You can either worry or you can wait. Second is the prophets, and they illustrate a time when we need extra patience, and that's with unchangeable people. Look at verse 10. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. What was the job of the prophets? Well, their job was to help people change, to bring people back to God. But guess what? People resisted change. They chose to kill the messenger rather than to heed the message. And so the common denominator among all the prophets is mentioned here in verse 10, and that's the word suffering. Elijah ran for his life from Ahab and Jezebel. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Jeremiah was thrown into prison. So let me ask you another question. Do you have unchangeable people in your life? Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your in-laws or your neighbors. Maybe it's your boss. The people that James is addressing when he first writes this letter could relate to this because they were suffering because of their faith. When he starts this book, you remember in chapter 1 and verse 1, he addresses them as the people who are scattered abroad. They were scattered out of Jerusalem because of persecution. They understood what it meant to suffer for their faith. They were also suffering because of their economic status because he says in chapter 2 and verse 6, is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? And in the passage we just looked at last week, chapter 5, verses 1 to 6, James addresses, you rich. And then when he comes to verse 7, he says, brethren, verse 9, brethren, verse 10, brethren. The only place you see believers in the first six verses is in verse 4, the laborers being cheated, and verse 6, the righteous man being condemned to death. And so they could relate to unchangeable people around them. Heard about a man who was riding a train. He failed to get his ticket punched. And when the conductor observed it, he came up to him in his seat and yelled at the man unmercifully in front of everyone. When the conductor walked away, the young man sitting next to this fella protested that he should have given that conductor a piece of his mind. The man just smiled and said, if a man like that can stand himself all his life, surely I can stand him for five minutes unchangeable people require patience. And then the third area you need extra patience is illustrated by Job, and that's unexplainable problems. Look at verse 11 again. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. 
Job played in the Super Bowl of suffering. In one day, he went bankrupt. All of his children were killed, and he got an incurable disease. If you think you've got problems, read Job. But you know, the worst part was that Job had no idea why this was happening to him. And if you will read the book of Job, what you will find is that for 37 chapters, God didn't even talk to him. And yet Job endured. Do you have problems in your life that are unexplainable? Do you have problems that leave you with lots of questions and no answers? You need the patience of Job. So those are the areas you need patience in. Second question is, why should you be patient? It's interesting to me that when you have problems, I can always find reasons why you should be patient. When I have problems, I seem to find excuses why I'm impatient. I see in this passage three reasons why we ought to be patient. Number one is that God is in control. Three times in this passage, James tells us the Lord is coming back. Verse 7, verse 8, and verse 9. And that's what we as Christians are ultimately waiting for. And that will be the ultimate proof that God is in control. History is his story. He's got it all planned out. Everything is happening on schedule. Everything is moving toward that great climax when Jesus Christ will come back. So whether you've got uncontrollable circumstances, unchangeable people, or unexplainable problems, you can relax and trust God because he is in control. God's purpose for your life is greater than any problem you are experiencing right now. And since God is in control, when I am impatient, who am I being impatient with? God. You ever think of it that way? God's in control. We say he's sovereign. We say he's got everything managed. He works all things together for good. So when I'm impatient, who am I impatient with? I'm impatient with God. The universe is operating by his clock, not mine. Philip Brooks, the famous preacher from New England, was pacing back and forth in his office one day. Someone walked in and asked, what's wrong, pastor? And he said, I'm in a hurry and God isn't. I'm in a hurry and God isn't. You ever been there? When you get there, you need to slow down, be patient, because God is in control. There are a lot of situations that are out of my control But there is not one single situation in my life that is out of God's control. And mark this down. God is never late. God is in control, and God is never late. Second reason, you're to be patient. God is at work. 
Suppose I told you that I planted some bulbs in my yard in the fall. And I've been digging them up every day to see if they're growing. What would you say to me? You would say, be patient. Because if you will be patient and quit digging the bulbs up, then God is doing a work that is going to produce in the spring a beautiful flower. And the same holds true in your life and my life. God is working. And a lot of what God is doing is behind the scenes. It's underground. I can't see it all. God is adding just the right amount of trials to your life. He's adding just the right amount of encouragement to your life. He's bringing the early rains. He's going to bring the later rains. And you need to be patient because he is doing something in your life that is very special. It's more special than a flower. He is transforming you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Wow. God is at work. And he's using even the painful situations in your life to accomplish that. And you need to be patient. It takes nine months to make a physical baby. I'm told it takes a whole lot of pain to deliver one. It takes a whole lot of blood, sweat, and tears to raise one. And a whole lot of patience. So why would it be any different for a spiritual child? You are the spiritual child. God is raising you. And it takes a lot of patience. Look at verse 10 again. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. The prophets suffered a lot. In fact, they suffered so much that some of them thought maybe God had abandoned them. Things got so bad for Elijah that he actually became suicidal. The writer of Hebrews describes Samuel and the prophets this way at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. He says they were tortured. They experienced mockings and scourgings and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. The prophets didn't make it into the who's who of their day. But what do we think about them today? Look at verse 11. We count those blessed who endured. These men lived in holes in the ground. They got sawn in two. We look back today and we applaud them. We count them as blessed. What does that tell us? Hindsight brings insight. And that's the way it is with trials. In the middle of a trial, it never looks good. After you've gone through a trial and you look back, you say, Oh, I see what God was doing. I see what God was producing in me. Do I want to go through that again? No, but I want the outcome of that in my life. That's the way it is with trials because God is at work. You know, just because your hands are tied doesn't mean God's hands are tied. 
And while you are waiting, God is working. I don't know what your problems are this morning. I'm going to assume you've got some. They may be financial. They may be physical. They may be emotional. Whatever they are, you need to know that God is working through those problems. And so you need to be patient. In the New Testament, the most common expression of the Christian life is walk. Walk. I like that. It's not sprint. It's not jump. It's not fly. It's walk. What's a walk? A steady, consistent, patient, step after step after step. God is at work. Be patient. Third reason. God will reward you for your patience. Look at the end of verse 11 again. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings. I discovered something this week. Did you know that the word patience or endurance is never used in the book of Job? Never used there. And yet, if we think about Scripture, he's the greatest example of patience and endurance. Because we hear him saying things like this, Job 13, 15. Even if he slays me, I will trust him. He says this in Job 19, 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives and that he will stand in the last day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh I will see God. He says in chapter 23, verse 10. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job is a man of patience. And what was the outcome of the Lord's dealings with this man who showed patience? Well, Job was more blessed after his trials than before. Spiritually, he now knew God in a new and special way. And even physically, God doubled his blessings. And so it pays to be patient. Third question, how do you show patience? This is practical. How do you show patience? Three ways. Number one, you wait expectantly. We're to wait like a farmer. How does a farmer wait? He doesn't sit on the couch. He plows, he sows, he weeds, he prunes. While he's waiting for the rain, he's preparing for the rain. While he's waiting for the harvest, he's preparing for the harvest. You see, being patient doesn't mean being passive. Very important. Being patient doesn't mean being passive. I have discovered a lot of times that when I'm waiting for God, he's really waiting for me. What are you praying for? What's on your prayer list? And if you got the answer today, are you ready for that answer? My wife and I have six kids. Two of our kids are not believers. We pray for them every night. We pray for their salvation. We pray for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. They were all six here for Christmas. When your house is full of kids, you don't have an opportunity to really talk to anybody individually. But 
my son Christopher was going to Chicago and needed a ride to St. Louis to catch the Amtrak up there. So we're calling Bart and trying to find him a ride to St. Louis. How are we going to get him to St. Louis? And finally, last second, I said, I'll just take him. So I get in the car with him and I go with him and I realize this is the answer to my prayer request because he's captive in the car with me for two hours. And I started sharing my testimony with him and he started asking me questions and for two hours he asked me questions about the gospel and about what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. And I realized... I was praying for it, but I wasn't necessarily ready for the opportunity when God handed it to me. See, being being patient doesn't mean being passive. If the latter rains came today, would you be ready? If Jesus Christ came back today, would you be ready? You see, we are to wait expectantly. Secondly, you may not like this one. We're to wait quietly. Quietly. What's the natural reaction when someone's mistreating you? You want revenge. You want to retaliate. You want to get even. Frederick Nietzsche said, Revenge is the greatest instinct in the human race. George Byron called revenge sweetness. Francis Bacon said it is a sort of wild justice. But God said, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You see, vengeance is not in your job description. What is in your job description is to show patience. Chuck Swindoll tells of a time he got out of his car in a parking lot And he accidentally bumped his door into the car next to him. So he he got out and checked the other car to make sure there was nothing there and there was nothing there. And then he noticed a man sitting in the car. And he said, I'm really sorry, there's no damage. And the guy said, that's fine. So Swindoll walked across the parking lot to go in the store. And when he was about to go in the store, he noticed people looking back in the direction of his car. So he turned around to see the same man taking his car door and slamming it into Swindoll's car over and over again. And Swindoll says that his first instinct was to retaliate. But then he could imagine the headlines that said, Pastor kills man in parking lot. Or worse, man kills pastor in parking lot. But you know what? Even when we manage to refrain from retaliating physically, we often retaliate verbally. And I think that explains why in the middle of this discussion about patience, James says this in verse 9, Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. It's hard to be quiet when you're frustrated, isn't it? If it doesn't come out physically, it wants to come out verbally. And we want everyone to know. We say, I can be patient, but I need to moan and groan and grumble about it. I'll be patient, but I need to complain about it the whole time. 
Some people wake up every day and they rise and whine. They hit the ground griping. Some of you come home dog-tired every night because you have growled all day long. That's not patience. See, when we're experiencing things, sometimes we're saying, I wouldn't be in this mess if it wasn't for her. Or why is he not suffering these same consequences? This passage tells us patience is to be done quietly. And then he reminds us, gives us a little incentive, and he says the judge is at the door. The judge is right at the door. He's about to come in. Remember when you were in school and the teacher left the room? Things could get really unruly, but if you knew the teacher was just outside the door, kind of held down the action. And that's what he says here. The judge is right at the door. And that should motivate us to stop complaining. You know, if anybody had a right to complain against his brothers, it was Joseph. Remember Joseph? He was sold by his brother as a slave. He ended up in prison in Egypt. He rose from prisoner to prime minister. And then his father died and his brother stood before him. They expected his wrath. And instead, they got his patience. And listen to Joseph's words in Genesis 50, 20. He said to his brothers, You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You see, he had the perspective that God was using those, all those bad circumstances for good. And so he was able to handle that trial without blaming and complaining about his brothers. And I would suggest to you that in the midst of a trial, we don't need 20-20 vision. We need 50-20 vision, Genesis 50-20, that we see that God is working in that circumstance for his good and your good, despite the people around you. Wait quietly. And then thirdly, wait confidently. Look at verse 8. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts. National Hockey League started yesterday. We're winding down the National Football League. If you ask people what is strength, in those contexts, they would say strength is measured by how volatile you can be. Well, James says strength is measured by how patient you can be. See, it takes a lot of strength to be patient. And if you're sitting here this morning and you've got a weak heart, you know how you can tell? Because you've got a short fuse. And if you've got a strong heart, you know how you can tell? You've got a long fuse. You say, well, Dan, how do you strengthen your heart? Well, let me suggest that the way you strengthen your heart is to do curls with this book. Do curls with this book. The only way you're going to have patience is with an open Bible that you are absorbing into your life so that I know God's dealings with people in the past, so that I know God's principles for me in the present, so that I know God's promises about my future, 
so that I know that no matter what circumstance I'm going through, as James says in verse 11, the Lord is full of compassion and he is merciful. He sent the early rains. I know he's going to send the late rains. He came the first time. I know he's going to come the second time. He rewarded the patience of Job. I know he's going to reward my patience. So in closing, let me ask you this. Where do you need patience today? Do you have uncontrollable circumstances? Maybe it's your job situation. Maybe it's a long-term illness. Maybe it's the salvation of a friend. Is there an unchangeable person in your life? Do you have unexplainable problems? Are you asking yourself, why me? Why now? Why this? Listen, God is in control. And God is at work. And a lot of that is behind the scenes. And God will reward your patience. So let me challenge you this morning. Wait expectantly. Wait quietly and wait confidently. We're going to close our service by taking communion together. If you're a guest guest here today, you're welcome. This is the Lord's Supper. But as we take it, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, Jesus is the greatest example of patience. Some people question why he hasn't come back. The Bible tells us. It says he is patient, not wanting any to perish. When people mock and say, where is he? He said he was coming back. It's been 2,000 years. He's patient because he wants one more person to come to know him. And today, as we take the bread and the cup, we remember the cross, and, and the cross describes Jesus as the lamb before its shears being silent. What a picture of patience. He was mocked while he was on the cross, and he didn't come down because he loved you and me that much that he stayed there to suffer in our place. And so as we take the bread and the cup, we really remember what he did for us and that example of patience, but we also look forward because the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six that when we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So we are remembering what he did, and we are thankful, but we're also doing it in, in anticipation of the fact that he is coming back. This might be the last time we do this as a remembrance because we may see him face to face and not have to remember anymore. So I'm going to give thanks, and I'm going to ask you, as the Bible says, to examine yourself, to prepare your heart, and then to come and participate in this remembrance that he commanded us to do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this simple bread and simple cup, simple way to remember that Jesus told us to do. Because the primary focus of our Christian life is the cross. And we never want to lose sight of that. And so as we do this, we remember that our Lord and Savior suffered patiently so that we might have salvation. And as we remember that today, we pray that that same patience would be instilled in our lives and our hearts in a fresh way. 
and that we would do so in anticipation that we're only doing this until you come back. We thank you for that privilege this morning and just pray that you would bring worship out of our hearts as we do so. In Jesus' name.